We uh, are glad to be with you guys, glad to worship with you guys. Love that song. Um, I want to just make a quick mention. In a couple of weeks, we have a little something called Serve Sunday. Uh, And uh, you should get out your phone and play on it while I'm preaching, right? And, uh, and, but no, seriously, you should get out your phone and go to the church app and uh, sign up for a Serve Sunday project. So uh, basically, we'll come. We'll have a short, abbreviated service at 9 a.m. There will be no 1045 service. And uh, then we will go out uh, after the abbreviated service at 9 and uh, go serve uh, in all different ways in our community. So uh, pray about that and uh, get you signed up. So uh, that's coming up a couple weeks um, we're excited about that. Uh, this morning, we're continuing on in this series that we've uh, we've been in for uh, uh, a few weeks now, uh, based around uh, the Tim Keller book, Counterfeit Gods, and uh, I, I, I've just had a lot of reaction to it. It's been all good, I think. Uh, I guess if people are going to react badly, they don't tell me. They just talk about it at lunch or something. So, uh, But uh, uh, no, I think... Uh, I think it's been good for me, and I hope that it's been good for you. Um, and today, uh, we are going to the book of Jonah. If you've got your Bible and you want to get it out and go there, and if you don't have a Bible, we have ushers who have Bibles. Uh, and uh, Emily, you may be by yourself. And uh, But uh, we'd love for you to take a Bible. If you need one, just throw your hand up and let her know, and she'll get you one. And if you don't own one, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to have it. Uh, but the uh, book of Jonah is where we're going today. And uh, today we're talking about, you know, we've talked about all kinds of idols. We've talked about uh, idols that we make out of relationships, and we've talked about idols that we've made out of, uh, out of uh, money and uh, out of uh, 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 politics or, you know, all, kind, all kinds of things. We've talked about all, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and today uh, we're talking about idols uh, that tend to be right there hiding in plain sight. Uh, idols that we don't realize a lot of times uh, are, are right there in front of us, so to speak. And so, uh, you know, and, and I, think, I think we probably all have those things, and we, we realize from time to time that there are certain things in our life that probably trigger us or we think a little more than we should about, uh, you know, this thing or that thing or whatever it may be. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where we're going today. And, uh, and as Keller talks about it, you know, he talks about, you know, over history uh, that we see, especially in America, uh, we see, you know, that uh, like a nation that started out, you know, kind of putting their trust in God, and then it turned to uh, trust in nationalism, uh, in the nation itself, and then, you know, and then it's kind of moved to this individualism. You know, everybody's kind of got this, you know, you know, I can do it, you know, sort of thing, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I used to have a friend of mine that always referred to, like, certain movies, especially from the 80s, as you-can-do-it movies, or even songs. He'd be like, you know, that's a you-can-do-it song, you know, kind of thing, like, it just kind of gets you pumped up and, and ready to go, and nothing Nothing wrong with getting pumped up and ready to go, obviously, uh, and nothing wrong with you know wanting to accomplish something. Uh, but you know, individualism is one of those things that kind of you know it creeps in and it and it and it creates a mentality in us that we can do everything on our own that we don't we don't need anybody, and that includes the Lord, and and that puts us in a dangerous spot. Uh, when we come to a place where we uh, get to a place where we feel like we don't we don't need God to do the things that uh, we're wanting to do in life or feel led to do in life or whatever it may be, um, and that and that leads to so it's kind of a succession of things, uh, but that idea of individualism kind of leads to uh, this this 
idol of uh, things like profit. You know, profit is a good thing. We want a business to make profit. We don't want uh, a business to always take a loss, uh, you know, and so profit is a good thing. Uh, but uh, a good thing, like most things, can be made into ultimate things, uh, and uh, that can be an idol. And so it becomes about making a profit. And so, and, and we, you know, I think we can, you know, that's, that's easily understood because, I mean, uh, you know, you start making a profit at something and then let's say uh, you have the opportunity to make profit, but it requires bending the rules a little bit or doing something unethical or, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, that, that becomes like a moral dilemma, you know, of am I going to do this thing that I know I shouldn't do, but yet if I do it this way, I can make a profit. Um, and in this age of self, uh, the maximization of profit, Keller says, has taken on some serious power. And, uh, you know, it's a reminder uh, that any dominant cultural hope that is not in God himself is an idol. And so, you know, we start putting our hope in these things. We put our hope in our identity and things like a profit, you know, and so, you know, and, and you, can, you can start telling real good, like if, you know, you're having good days because you're making a profit, or you got, you're having bad days because you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, right? And, uh, and we've all been there, you know, even, even, if you, even, if you're, even if you're not in business or whatever, I mean, we, we get just that basic, you know, thing uh, with money and how that plays out a little bit in our lives. Um, you know, the individual freedom that we have, uh, you know, created for ourselves and in some ways has led to a breakdown of family. And over the years, we've seen this kind of creep in with materialism. This is Keller talking materialism, careerism, idolization of romantic love, physical beauty, and profit. Uh, and again, an idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. Let me, read, let me say that again. An idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. You know, at the end of the day, when we're looking at these things, we're looking at them saying, I want that because I think it's going to bring me peace. You know, but is, is that really true? It's not true. I mean, we, we know that happiness and peace and those things don't come from accomplishing something. Yeah, there's a, there's a momentary happiness. There's a momentary piece of, you know, just kind of the, oh, man, I'm glad to be, you know, glad to get that done, you know, get past that or whatever it may be. Uh, but it's momentary, you know. Our peace, you know, our joy, uh, our, our, our identity even has to be found in Christ. Uh, otherwise, we're left kind of flailing along. The other piece that Keller talks about, and I think this is interesting, I think it's good too, uh, is that oftentimes we make idols out of uh, religious things. Um, and, and so, you know, this, and this happens, and if you think about it, uh, you know, what you see is even things like, you know, a doctrinal truth when we believe and trust in Scripture, and obviously we want to believe and trust in Scripture, you know, we're not, we're not saying we don't want to do that, but when we do so and we take a doctrinal truth and we elevate it to the position of a false god, you know, that, that gets to be a dangerous thing. People rely on their rightness of their doctrine for their standing with God rather than God himself and his grace. And so it becomes about being right 
all the time, and 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 you, you, we start to elevate ourselves uh, around, uh, you know, especially around other people. Maybe maybe they're not believers, or maybe they maybe they're a different denomination, or maybe they, you know, whatever it is. And and we we start to get a little something about us, and we go, oh, well, I would never do that. But the truth is, is that we do do that sometimes, and we've got to be careful with that. A sign of this is when one slips into self-justification and grows a disdain for opponents rather than graciousness. You know, if, if you find yourself getting to a place where you're looking down on people, and let's say, let's say somebody that's an opponent in some way, they believe something differently, or uh, they're, they're a different nationality, they're from a different place, or uh, look different than we do, or whatever it is, uh, you know, when we get to a place where we start to grow a disdain for them, you know, and we grow a hatred for them, instead of grace... I mean, that's, that's a dangerous place. And we say, oh, well, Chris, I never, you know, I never want to do that. Well, yeah, I don't think any of us want to do that. I don't, but I don't think that we realize sometimes we do do that. Because we're like, oh, well, those people are evil, and they're out to try to change the world and lead people away from the Lord. Listen, that may be the case. That may totally be the case. But let me, let me help us understand something. We are still called to love those people. We're still called to show those people grace. Jesus died for them like he died for us. Do they know Jesus? Maybe not. Maybe they don't know Jesus, but that's the point. Is it like, how do they ever know Jesus if we are not Jesus to them? This is not a view of saved by grace, by their trust in the rightness of their views, but it's making them feel superior you know, and I think if we ever kind of find ourselves feeling superior to other people, that's that's a dangerous that's a dangerous thing. I'll be honest with you, and and this is a generational thing. So uh, forgive me for those that uh, might be a generation or two older than myself or whatever, but I think a generational thing. I think most people my age would probably agree with this. That we have seen over time is that we we grew growing up. You know, and and some of it's because of, you know probably seeing the news or whatever it was, but we grew uh, a distrust for the the suit and tie guy or the person with uh you know a title you know that's why i mean and i and 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 that that creeps in on me a little bit to the point you know and i don't know if it's good or bad or whatever but like when people you know come and talk to me or they meet me and they're like they want to they want to give me the old pastor chris or reverend royalty junk and i'm just like just chris is good just Chris is good. We're fine with just Chris, okay? And, and so, like, of course, I have some people that do that, but they do it on purpose because they're, like, you know, trying to, like, get me. Uh, and that's fine, too. I don't care. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I mean, think even part of that is, like, I, I even as a pastor, I don't want someone to ever feel like that uh, I, I feel like I'm superior to them in some way. I'm not. I'm absolutely not. And you may say, oh, well, Chris, you've done this for this long, or you've got an education, or you I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make me better than somebody else. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace just like everybody else with a calling to do this. And you have a calling to do what you're doing, hopefully. You know, it's, 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 it's that sort of thing. It's, it's so simple, and we make way more out of it than it is. Uh, furthermore, we see this with pastors. You know, this whole, you know, and this was an interesting thing I like that Keller went down this road uh, in the book. Um, 
is that he talked about in religious communities, how in religious communities we turn spiritual gifts and ministry success in the idols. So going back to, you know, religious idols, whatever it may be, you know, even in ministry we make idols sometimes. And so it becomes based upon, upon uh, you know, the success of your ministry and, you know, what's going on with that. And, uh, you know, a, a minister or a pastor may teach that they're saved uh, only by grace, uh, but feel in their hearts, if, if they were being honest, that their standing with God is equal to lives changed. That their standing with God is equal to lives changed. In other words, if you know people are people are getting saved, if if the Lord's changing people's lives, uh, you know, within the ministry that that person is over, that they they start to put their identity in that, and then when that's not happening, they start to feel like you know, well, you know, I, I guess uh, God's probably not as happy with me right now. He doesn't love me as much. But we do we do this with all sorts of things. This is just basic legalism at its core. You know, we all turn back to the default of wanting to control, even controlling God. And if we live good lives, then God owes us, and so does everyone else. That's just legalism. That's just junk that Satan wants us to buy and put our, put our, you know, put our trust in. Uh, you know how good we can be. Bases, you know, oh, what we get back from God or others or whatever it is, or or, or whether or not it's going to save us. The only thing saving us today. The only thing saving us today is the cross. Period. It's Jesus. It's Him giving His life up for us and, and rising three days later. That's, that's where our freedom is today. So we, we talk about all that to get to Jonah. And uh, I don't know how much you remember about Jonah, and I think a lot of folks take Jonah and they go, well, Jonah's, you know, the, you know, go back to the felt board thing or whatever, you go back to growing up. If you grew up in church, uh, you know, you got to talk, I mean, you talk about Jonah at least once a year as a kid because it was, it was you know, just one of those things. And uh, because who doesn't love a good story about getting swallowed by a fish? And so, uh, you know, we got, you know, and, uh, you know, we live in the South, and people love talking about fish in the South, so there's that too. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, you know, I think most people, when they hear the story of Jonah, they think, they think about it being like a fairy tale or something, you know. And I, and I think it's important for us to remember that this is something that God did in someone's life. And Jonah specifically, in this, in this, and we're going we're gonna to basically kind of give the synopsis of, of the whole book of Jonah, which is only four chapters, uh, here in just the next few minutes, and we're going to kind of skip through uh, some verses here. Uh, you know, Jonah was, you know, being called by the Lord to do something. In fact, let's just go ahead and read. Jonah 1, 1, and, uh, and it says this. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah, Jonah gets a calling on his life and his calling is to go to the great city of Nineveh and it is to, it's to preach to them, it's to tell them the truth that basically, hey, you guys are in a mess. You guys are not, you guys are not doing well here. Like this is not going to end well for you. You know, so basically this is like a warning shot from the Lord, and the Lord is telling Jonah, Jonah, you need to go. Well, the thing you need to know about Jonah 
And I think, you know, and I didn't understand any of this, especially as a kid. All I knew was that, like, there was a thing on a board, and we could stick Jonah in the fish's mouth and, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and he gets vomited up on the, on the shore, and it's like, oh, that's kind of cool, uh, you know, because puke is always cool when you're a kid or even a grown man pretending to be a kid or a grown man that is actually a kid, whatever. Uh, but, yeah. And so, you know, but with Jonah, one of the things that I never understood was that his background... Like, the, the, the Assyrians, the people of Nineveh, were his enemy. This was like, this is a group of people that, you know, at that point in time, that the Israelites, they would have been a foe of them, and the Israelites were in, were in power at this moment in time when this is going on. And so, for Jonah to get this was basically a, hey, go and try to save this city, who is one of your opponents? So it's like a Tennessee fan, like going and trying to give the football to an Alabama fan. I kind of do that anyway, but you know, whatever. So that's too easy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tennessee fans. Y'all, y'all deserve better. You know, really? You deserve better. Well, <laughs> all right. No more football illustrations. <clears throat> So for Jonah, in this moment of, of, you know, God calling him to do this great thing, it was like God saying, I want you to go to your opponent, and I want you to give them a chance at having a chance to come against your people. And Jonah's like, um, I don't know about this. So in verse 3, we see what happens. Jonah, verse 3, says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. Good luck with that. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah takes off. God ever call you to do something and you're just like, uh... I'm going to pretend like you didn't say that, and I'm going to go this way, <laughs> you know? That ever happened to you? That's happened, it's happened to me. I can tell you for sure it's happened to me. I remember when the Lord first spoke to my heart about, I mean, like, I remember the moment the Lord first spoke to my heart about starting a church, like, that, you know, he wasn't going to let me just be a youth guy anymore, and, you know, all this, and, like, I really thought, like, I'd be a youth guy forever. Like, even my youth pastor friends were like, you are the career youth guy. You're going to do this forever, we're, and you're going to, you're way younger than we are, and you're going to bury all of us. And, uh, you know, and, and the truth is, is in that moment, I was freaked out. And I had to sit on that for almost a year. Like, I, I vocalized it in the moment to, uh, to Ben. We were actually at a conference together back then. And, uh, and I vocalized it to Ben in that moment. And then after that, um, I wouldn't talk about it. And I didn't talk about it. And I didn't talk about it for months to anybody and he didn't bring it up, and I was cool with that. And so, uh, but you know, Jonah, in this moment, being called by the Lord, and he's being called to a saving mission, God giving people a chance to not be destroyed, basically. And, you know, you may say, well, why did, you know, why did Jonah run from God? Of course, we know a little bit of that backstory now, but I, I want to I just, I want to read a little bit from, uh, from the book here from Keller. He says, this says, Jonah was being called to warn Nineveh of God's wrath. 
to give them a chance to survive and continue to be a threat to Israel. As a patriotic Israelite, Jonah wanted no part of such a mission. So why did he run? The answer is, again, idolatry, but a very complex kind. Jonah had a personal idol. He wanted ministry success more than he wanted to obey God. Also, Jonah was shaped by a cultural idol. He put the national interests of Israel over obedience to God and the spiritual good of the Ninevites. Finally, Jonah had a religious idol, simply moral self-righteousness. He felt superior to the wicked pagan Ninevites. He didn't want to see them saved. He didn't want to see them saved. We go, oh, Chris, I, you know, I can't imagine ever you know, being in such a bad place I wouldn't want to see somebody saved. But I mean, the truth is, is like, are we really that cool with everybody in life that you know, anybody that God would call us to go to, you know, that we would be willing to go? Jonah 1, verse 10 continues on. It says this, it says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They're on a boat at this point out in the water, and a storm has come. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And they're, they're basically afraid for their lives. At this moment, uh, the boat is being tossed you know, back and forth, and like they're all afraid they're going to die. And they have figured, they cast lots, and we skipped that part or whatever, but they figured out it's Jonah's fault somehow. And then they ask him, what's up? And he's like, well, I'm running from the Lord. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're running from the Lord and got on our boat? And he says, for the, says uh, what shall we do to you for the, sea, for the sea to quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. And so if you keep going there, you know, verse, in, jo- in verse 17 it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. They throw him over, the fish swallows up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now that sounds like a timeshare, you know, timeline or something, you know, so I don't know like what that was like hanging out in a fish for three days and three nights, but I know what it's like going to timeshare presentations for three days and three nights. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And then in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And now we're skipping to verse 8. I know we're skipping a bunch, but this is so we can, we can manage the whole thing. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And now you're thinking, oh, well, I mean, now the Lord's got his attention, Right? You're like, finally, we're getting somewhere with Jonah. You know, Jonah's, Jonah's, you know, had to go into the belly of the fish and the whole bit, you know, spending three days and three nights, you know, to figure out what the Lord is wanting him to do. Well, he knew what the Lord was wanting him to do. He wanted him to go to Nineveh and tell him, tell all these people, hey, you got a chance, but you got to turn or you're going to burn, 
right? And time in the fish was serious time to think, and it led Jonah to the realization that God's grace was as much theirs as it was his. God's grace was as much theirs as it was his. Do we, do we always believe that about everybody in our lives? Or do we find ourselves at times feeling superior to other people because of what we believe or what we've done or what we haven't done or the life we've lived or where we're from or you know what those people have done to our people or to us or whatever it may be? Salvation comes from the Lord and it is for all. You know, we love, the, we love the saying, justice for all, you know. What about salvation for all? Do we really believe that? Do we live that with our life as, as, as God puts people in our paths? Are we, th- we thinking about that with people? What we see blocking grace in our lives are idols. Idols. Jonah's idol was, you know, him worrying about, you know, his people, his, you know, he, he had pri- his pride in religion, uh, the fear of personal failure, love for his country, his own nationalism, his own people, so afraid that if God saved these people, then all of a sudden there's going to be somebody to come against the Israelites, and, you know, then it would all be his fault. And this led to him not wanting to know, that him not wanting them to know God's grace. He wanted them dead. He wanted them dead. We see Paul oppose Peter in this way when they get to talk, and you can go check it out later in Galatians, Galatians two. Um, you know, in uh, where he's talking, to, he kind of opposes Peter in this moment of like where Peter's not willing to eat with the Gentiles, and Paul's like, "Dude, what's up?" And in fact, in verse fourteen, I'll read it to you. Part of verse fourteen, it says, "I saw that their conduct was not in step." with the truth of the gospel. And he's talking about now Peter and all these other people that kind of followed Peter in this whole eating habit in that moment. And Paul's like, hey, bro, what are you guys doing? Like, why are you guys not eating? Like, that's not in, that's, he says, that's not in step with the gospel. We want to be in step with the gospel. And Peter knew the gospel, but it hadn't deeply shaped him and he wasn't walking in it. Listen, it's one thing to know something, it's another thing for it to let it change your life. And that's where I think a whole lot of folks are some days. Jonah 3. We're skipping to Jonah 3, okay? Jonah 3, verse 1. It says this, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. And you're thinking, oh, well, yeah, he's going to do it this time, right? Yeah, of course. And it says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. Finally, he's listening to the Lord according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called called out, yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God and called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And when God, and skip to verse 10, and when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, 
God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would, that he would do to them, and he did not do it. And if I, you know, I don't know about you, but if I'm Jonah, I'm thinking like, woohoo, you know what I mean? It's got to be like, it's got to be like leading like the greatest crusade of all time. You know, like all these people, I'm just imagining like a Billy Graham crusade back in the day. It's like the legit crusades, uh, you know, and, you know, all these people come, you know, hearing the gospel, hearing the truth, their lives turning, they're changing, turning toward the Lord to follow him, all this stuff, you know, repenting the whole nine yards. And, and here it is like, you know, a hundred, you know, hundred over a hundred thousand people, you know, being saved. We don't know to what degree, but at least literally with their lives, they're being saved in this moment from destruction, and I'm thinking, oh, Jonah's got to be ecstatic. I mean, he's got to be over the moon about this, right? Nope. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, says this. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh God, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, that that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now I, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I love that question. <laughs> do you do well to be angry? You should pull that out on your spouse sometime. I'm just saying. Next time that they're just super mad about something. Jesse, will you do that to Jason sometime for me and just like videotape it or something? Oh, it's the other way around. Yeah, I don't believe that. Yeah, he's never angry. You know, and so, yeah, but I mean, like, what in the world? Like, you have this moment where you're thinking, you know, this is this great thing God has called you to be a part of. You're getting to be a fly on the wall. You help to get to lead people to it. And then you turn around, and he's mattering a wet hen. That's southern for real mad. And what we see here, what we see here is we see Jonah's heart truly revealed. That his idols are shining through. And that he so hated these people that he saw God's forgiveness of them as the worst thing possible. He saw God's forgiveness of them as like the worst thing possible. He couldn't stand to see their lives saved. What happened? I mean, just a minute ago in the belly of a fish, he's like, you know, okay, I get it, Lord. Like, grace is for everybody. It's literally for anyone. And it's as much for them as it is for me. And he had understood God's grace, but it was all intellectual. And it had not penetrated his heart. Has the gospel penetrated your heart? Like, is it changing who you are? Or are you going on living a life that you think you're untouchable? Let me tell you what's going to happen. If you live that life, he's going to wake you up. You know why? Because he loves you. And he's like any good parent would do for a child. He loves us, and he will jerk a knot in us when we need it the most. 
And it's oftentimes in moments when we don't want him to, you know. And he'll do that to get our attention. Why? Because he's trying to save us from ourselves. Because we're stupid sinners. And our hearts lead us back to the dumb stuff all the time. We're like, oh, hi, dumb stuff. It's you again. We haven't hung out in a while. Let's go do dumb stuff. And it's like, what? We're like Jonah. It's intellectual. We know the truth, but we're not letting it penetrate our hearts. We're not letting it change who we are. And as believers, we say what Jesus thinks of us is what matters Not human approval, but that's what we say. And we still struggle with the other. Like, oh, well, I still want to, you know, make them happy. I still want them to think I'm the stuff, you know, or whatever it is. And our actions show different. And, you know, it's like, how could Jonah want them to die? He wanted them to die because he was blinded by his idols. That's how off-kilter he is. And, and it's easy for us to look at Jonah and go, man, Jonah's an idiot, you know? Like, he's so off-kilter. Like how, to, to get to the point where you're so blinded by your idols that you're, you know, that you're, you're willing to go to that nth degree, you know, it's like, how dumb is he, you know, kind of thing. It's real easy to say stuff like that. And the truth is, is this is just like us. And our idols blind us from the truth all the time, and we let them because we love them. We love our idols. And we love them more than we love God, and we love them more than we love the gospel. That's what makes them an idol to begin with. And so they dictate where we're going in life, whether we realize it or not. Keller says, when an idol gets a grip on your heart, it spins out a whole set of false definitions of success and failure and happiness and sadness. I'm going to read that again. When an idol gets a grip on your heart, it spins out a whole set of false definitions of success and failure and happiness and sadness. You say, oh, well, I guess the story of Jonah is over. It, it's actually not over. You know, like we, we've managed to cover some ground. There's a little more. Verse 5 of chapter 4, check this out. Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he could see what would become of the city. Basically, he's gone, and he's found a spot, and he's like still hoping that God's going to blow the thing up. You know, which he's not. They repented. He's showing them grace. By the way, the whole like, you know, I knew you were a God who, you know, shows grace and you know, loves people and all this kind of stuff. He's like, I knew you'd do something like this. I mean, that's what he's saying. How crazy is that? Oh, my gosh. He goes out. He's waiting for the city to be blown up. Verse 6, it says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came on the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked God that he might die and said, It is far better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? 
And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor and you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? It's interesting, our emotions. They tell us a lot about ourselves. The ups, the downs, they point to things in our lives. They point to what's important to us. They point to our idols. They point to things that we think are super important and lead us to being angry sad or happy I think here God is putting Jonah through the paces because he wants Jonah to see what's going on inside himself and the interesting thing is is this is how the book of Jonah ends we don't actually know from here what happens with Jonah now, we could say, oh, well, you know, he died or, you know, whatever. I, you know, well, eventually he died. But, you know, in this moment, I don't think that he did. And partly because we have the book of Jonah. You know, we have an understanding of what had happened here. Keller says this. It says, idols generate false beliefs such as I, can, I cannot achieve X. Then my, if, I can, if I cannot achieve X, then my life won't be valid. I hear this with men all the time, especially. Or, since I have lost or failed, why? Now, I can never be happy or forgiven again. Well, I've heard that many times over the years with people who are like, well, I can't come to church because I've done these terrible things in my life. Um, these beliefs magnify ordinary disappointment and failures into life-shattering experiences. When people say, I know God forgives me, but I cannot forgive myself, they mean that they have failed an idol whose approval is more important to them than God's. Idols function like God's in our lives. And so if we make career or parental approval our God and we fail it, then the idol curses us in our hearts for the rest of our lives. We can't shake the sense of failure. We let it haunt us. There's a lot of folks walking around like this these days, folks. You may be one of them. You may be struggling with one of these things. Let me tell you what. I, I, didn't, I didn't come to tell you about this today so you feel beat up. I came to tell you this today so that you'd turn to the Lord and let him sacrifice the idol that's in your life that is causing you to feel like a failure. Stop it. You're not. You're created by him. You're doing what he wants you to do. It's not, oh, it's not, it's not what you thought it would be. Surprise. Who's where exactly where they thought they would be in life? I mean, when I was a little kid, I used to draw pictures of a tow truck because I wanted to drive a tow truck one day. I still wouldn't mind having a tow truck some days, to be honest with you. Why had Jonah lost the will to live? 
You don't lose your desire to live unless you have lost your meaning in life. His meaning in life was the freedom of his nation. What is your meaning in life? Is it to glorify God? Is it to make him known? Because that, that is the purpose of our life. That's, God created us with that in mind, that people would know Jesus because they know us. If we find some other meaning in life, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, uh, it's, it's going to lead to a dead end. It's not going to lead to happiness. You're not going to find peace. At first, Jonah didn't go at all to Nineveh. Then he went. But he went without compassion. But God came with compassion. Jonah didn't want to go for fear of being harmed. But Jesus came knowing we'd kill him. And so he could save us and take our place. There was a great storm in the boat for Jonah that day and all those men. Many, many years later, there'd be another great storm in a boat with Jesus and his disciples. All the men equally freaked out except Jesus. And, you know, although they were great storms and they caused great fear, the greater storm that Jesus went through was the one on the cross for us. The ultimate storm for the sin of us all. And put on Him that we put on Him all sin of the whole world that He might take death from us that we deserve. And when we struggle with our idols, we can remember what He has done for us. What happened to Jonah is left open-ended. But I'll tell you, I think the Lord left it that way so that it leads back to us. What is happening with us today is the question. What idols do we have hiding in plain sight? Let's pray. God, your grace is so good. It is so good that it is, that it is even great for the worst of us all. There is nothing that can separate us from your love, Lord. And God, today we are reminded of that and we are reminded that it's not just for us, but it is for literally everyone that you have ever created in all of the world. That you love all people and that you want all people to hear the gospel. Lord, you want, to, you want our neighbors to hear the gospel. You want the people that we hang out with at ball fields to hear the gospel. You want people, uh, Lord, that we work with to hear the gospel. God, you want those people that you have been putting in our lives for us to build relationships with to hear the gospel. God, I pray that they would know who you are because they know us. Lord, use us for your glory in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. God, for anyone who hasn't trusted in you today as their Savior, God, I pray, Lord, that you would do something in their life. Lord, help them to see their need for a Savior. Help them to trust you to forgive you, forgive them of, your, of their sins. God, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for what you've done through your Son on the cross. It's in his name we pray all of it. Amen.